Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Young Professionals here on TopDoorSoccer.com. Travis Clark here you here with you to take you through another dizzying half hour of soccer talk from a youth perspective. Joining me today, as usual, Seattle sidekick Will Parchman. How's it going out there, Will? It's good. I'm drinking coffee, so if you hear any disgusting slurping noises while you're talking, it's not because I'm intentionally making them. I'm just tired. That is what our listeners come for, though, is for the unique sound effects of our somewhat dodgy recording setup that always, I'm sure, is music to people's ears. Well, you know what? Obviously, if, if I stay up until 2 in the morning watching U20s, I've, just, I've got a mainline coffee for pretty much the entire rest of the next day. Yeah, I mean, that's a good transition to introduce what we're going to be talking about in this show. Uh, obviously, the U.S. Under-20 Men's National Team has finished the group stage at the Under-20 World Cup. They've advanced, which is kind of what kind of the bare minimum of what we expected from this group, uh, thanks to two wins and a loss, which was happened early this morning against Ukraine. After that, we're going to do a little bit a little bit diving into the Women's World Cup, maybe talk a little USA, talk a little Canada, make fun of the Great White North. You know, all good stuff here on the Young Professionals. It's what we do. It's what we do. Anyway, that let's get let's get right to it. Uh, uh, U.S. Under Twenty Men's National Team, two zero and two one and zero in three games in their its group, a very easy group as we discussed, I believe, either last week or you know three weeks ago. Whenever we record these podcasts, I kind of lose track. It is also kind of weird we're doing two in like a week after each other, but I digress. I digress. Um, Will, what's been your impression of this team through three group games? Uh, I mean, they look like hot garbage against Myanmar for about 65 minutes, and then they got it together just long enough to get three points, which not, you know, pretty inauspicious start, but you're thinking, okay, well, maybe they've, you know, they've sort of got the, the train on the tracks, and, you know, they come out against New Zealand, look really coherent. Um, they play really well, you know, win 4-0, Gideon Zalalem's uh, hype train was, was full of of coal, uh, if you will. And, uh, you know, we're Emerson... eco-friendly hype train though. So solar powered hype full no, of I'm, sun. I'm all about, I'm all about destroying the universe with okay, fossil fuels, fossil fuels for life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. Um, and then, you know, the New Zealand game looked good. Emerson Hindman, you know, looked coherent, you know, Paul Areola looked like he was like legitimately holding off Tommy Thompson on the right. Um, you know, and all of these things just sort of came together and then all of a sudden, just implosion against Ukraine. I mean, it's kind of been the story of this U20 team for the whole cycle where you just you don't really seem to understand what is happening because you'll get sort of what you think is a read on the team and then they'll completely fall away, you know, in the next 90 minutes. So it, the, the draw that this team's going to get in the, in the knockouts isn't, isn't bad. Um, the runner-up in Group A gets gets a runner-up, and I believe Group D, uh, it's it's the Colombia Portugal group. It's Group uh, C, isn't it? C, yeah, it's yeah, it's Group Col- C. Colombia, Portugal, and uh, Senegal are the three possible. You uh, had the right ups. team, wrong letter. Yeah, I've never been good at, at at the alphabet, um, and so it, it's going to be one of those teams. Uh, you know, it's probably going to be Colombia. Uh, this Colombia team is not you know, unbeatable by any means. Uh, if, if it somehow happens to be Portugal, uh, Colombia would have to win 
against Portugal in the final match day, which I believe is tomorrow. Yeah, it's tomorrow morning. Yeah, either midnight or three a.m. Whatever those kickoff. Yeah, maybe you're not even that time. I don't even know. It's brutal. Whatever it is. Yeah, and so you won't stay up to watch it, but you'll read about it. And if if Colombia finds a way to win that game, and the U.S. ends up with Portugal, which has been a buzzsaw so far. I mean, that's that's a disaster scenario. But I mean, it'll most likely be Colombia, and you know that's that's a winnable game. But it's also a game that you look at and you say. You know, do we expect, especially playing like they did against uh, Ukraine, to, for them to win that game? I probably not. Yeah, no, it's it's quite perplexing to know what to expect because you look at Ukraine as sort of the first legit, no disrespect to New Zealand, uh, the first kind of legit opponent at this World Cup, and they pretty much fold. I mean, the circumstances, you know, to kind of spin it a little more positively, you've already advanced from the group, you just need a draw. But then you handle it really poorly. You def- you defend, you know, in two blo- blocks of four, basically. I think it was even kind of looking like a 4-5-1 with Bradford Jameson up front. And it just it just wasn't very fun to watch. And it, they didn't really do all that much. And it's kind of disappointing when you see, you know, Zalalem and Heinemann work so well together against New Zealand to then kind of spin off and put in a performance like that. So obviously the circumstances, you can kind of give them a little bit of a pass you know the qualification was at stake, but the you know the pressure to win the group is still there, and you don't even kind of come close. I mean, again, you know, you look at the game, how the game went in the second half. Uh, Cameron Carter Vickers gives up a foul in a bad spot, which has been a just a rampant disease of the U.S. center backs. Mm-hmm. Miazga more than Carter Vickers, but Carter Vickers was the one at fault for that. Ukraine makes the free kick. U.S. takes it right down. Jordan Allen wins a PK, even though it wasn't really a PK. Um, if we're being honest with it. Oh, it was a total and, dive. Yeah, it was a total dive. We can dive. acknowledge that here. And Emerson, Emer- it, 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 the, the lack of a call from the officials on the, the goalkeeper who was like, what, three steps off his line when Emerson kicked the ball? <laughs> yeah, halfway to Hawaii, I think. Is what <laughs> that is a long way. But he, needless, needless to say, it should have been retaken if they – but that, that rule never gets called. Never. And, and that's like I'm mad. I don't think the U.S. deserved to win. Uh, and then Ukraine tacks on a couple goal, a couple more goals, kind of rounds out the route. I thought it was a little bit like the New Zealand game where there was a bit of a gap between New Zealand and the United States, obviously the U.S. being the better team that time. But a 4-0 scoreline flattered them a little bit when you looked at two of those goals as just like disastrous defensive um, mistakes from the New Zealand. So well, from the New it, Zealand. Yeah, that was the, nice. the New Zealanders, the Kiwis, the junior all whites, whatever you want to call them. The J A W. So lots well, of things it, to take but, into context. But you isn't know, that just sort of like the the MO of Tab Ramos's U twenty team is like this sort of like just good enough they, yeah. they get to the stages they need to get to, but it's kind of like skidding in sideways when they get there. And then when they get there it's not, you know, it's it's very much like a a mediocre performance against teams that they should probably do a little bit better. I mean, it's it's this weird thing where it, there's nothing that Tab Ramos has done outwardly anyway where you can just say, fire him now. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing that's just so egregious that he's done that, you know, puts his, his neck on the block, if you will. But it's just sort of these little niggling things that you see and you're like, well, you know, the U.S. could probably be better in that instance or they could be better there. And, of course, it's not all coaching. I mean, it's down to players, too. But um, it's just this sort of – it's just off enough where you're – you know, you think 
this team could do better. You should expect more out of this team than you know three zero to Ukraine in a game where you know they they could have used those those three points. Yeah, and you know I think to take that even further, there's nothing that Tab has done where you're like, oh man, he's a great coach. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and that's not to, to disrespect him. It's just you look at the the way the teams perform, the way they've improved, the way these you know these players he spends so much time with. And while granted, it's not as much as you would at the club level. We understand that. But it's not the kind of performance, the kind of improving you'd want to see. And you know, you look at every, you look at the whole context of the tournament, and you know, you want to see improvements game by game by game. And you know, you got that because you were hot trash the first game against Myanmar, uh, but you improved throughout that game. And then you you put in your best performance your second game, but then you took a step back. So uh, you know, the, the game four is where you know the knockout starts. And just to kind of quickly correct ourselves. I know we're all over this place, but according to my ESPN app, the Senegal-Qatar match will kick off at 9 p.m. tonight. That's Friday. We're recording here on Friday, June 5th. It's very confusing, this, because I was looking at Wikipedia and looking at the schedule. It was at, you know, it's June 6th, 1 p.m. local time. You know, it's it's so confusing. I used to live in the Southern Hemisphere, and the time zone difference was so, was probably the hardest thing about it. Um, Anyway, where was I? Where were we? Talking about the U.S.? You know, what do we think this team needs to do in the next match? What are your kind of one or two points you'd want to see? Okay, this needs to be better. This needs to be different uh, from this group. Is it lineups? Is it tactics? What do you think? Well, the whole time, you know, leading up to this tournament, we've been saying, you know, they... they, 442 Diamond. 442 Diamond. Yeah, yeah, that. I mean, on a a bigger scale, I mean, we've been saying, well, they need to get through the group. They have to get through the group. That's the, you know... And they did that with with two, you know, with a game to spare with, after two games. Um, you know, I, I don't think for me winning the group was necessary um, for this tournament to be a success. They just needed to get through and win at least one knockout match. Um, and for them to do that, I think it's 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 been nice to see them switch to the four three three. But it's clear that the way that they moved, they trotted it out against Ukraine, they weren't playing for the win because they put Bradford Jameson as the main striker, the central striker in the system. And that, he's a, a disaster in that spot. I mean, he's, he's actually been pretty good in spots coming off the left in that 4-3-3 and even in the, the diamond that they were playing uh, earlier on before they switched back to the 4-3-3. He was pretty good coming in, pinching in from the left and sort of, you know, having some interchange with with Rubio Rubin up, up top. And, you know, they put him up le- up top in, against Ukraine and he, he's being asked to hold up play and he was trying to come back in and it wasn't working. And um, he was just very ineffective. Um, and so I think that was mostly a product of the fact that um, that Tab wanted to rest some starters, but and the yellow cards and situation. the yellow card situations, um, but you know, against Colombia or, or whoever it's going to be, um, they're going to need to go back to what what more of what we saw against New Zealand, which is um, you know putting Rubin as that as that that center center forward where he can sort of drop back, and you know you've got Ariola and and Jameson or whoever it is on the left, and they can kind of exploit some of the spaces. Um, that can work. What they did against Ukraine can't. Um, there just wasn't enough going forward. So, you know, if they win a knockout, one knockout game, I think we can reasonably say this has been a decent World Cup. If they win two, we can say 
this has been a good World Cup, in, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's really tricky to know. I think, honestly, you could almost say the success of a U20 team, forget even World Cup winning, but you get a couple guys out on the to the full team eventually, and that's more kind of your end goal, you know? And I think that, in some ways, this team will already kind of succeed because we're going to see guys like Rubio, and, you know, barring, you know, sensational drops of form, Rubin should probably be in the full team in the couple, next couple of years, uh, maybe... You know, he'll get the run to the Olympics, which I guess is next summer, right? Jeez, it is. That's it's insane. almost upon us. Back to Brazil. Uh, yeah, you know, looking ahead, too, like, you get past your next opponent. Um, you know, we discussed the senegal Colombia. You know, you're looking at perhaps the Group D winner, and that's anyone from, you know, likely Serbia. Serbia, Uruguay, Mali, and Mexico, who are all tied on three points heading into their final game. So that, that should be an insane uh, set of final group matches and it's not like we're gonna you know we're talking about the u.s winning it because they'd have to beat germany in the uh i believe the quarterfinals or semifinals probably i think the semifinals um uh, again getting way ahead of ourselves because i don't really think the the team is barring significant improvement is going to make it that far but um that's kind of where i would judge it you know and you know you use because i think part of me you know i'm looking at the u23 men's national team you know there are youth national teams all over the place right now I'm looking at the under-23 men, you know, and there are a couple of guys from that last U-20 team that haven't quite taken that next step in their club careers and forget international careers. So uh, I think it's good to see the, the progress of the group, but you want to see uh, the, the team elevate itself to a position where they're, uh, you know, they're, they're churning out at least two or three guys. You know, that 2000, 2007 team, you know, I think Michael Bradley was on it, uh, Josie Altador. Josie. Omar oh, yeah, Gonzalez. Was he on? I don't even remember that. He was, yeah. Obviously, you had your Danny Zatellas and Freddie Adus, but I think, you know, the grand scheme of things, you you want that system to be working. That's why you have these teams as you're exposing them to a level where they're getting, you know, Emerson Hyman's missing a PK in a relatively high-stakes game. You know, he'll learn from that. You know, Zalalem is obviously being integrated into the U.S. system, whatever that means. I don't even know. Um, but anyway, we'll have more coverage on the under-20s uh, throughout the tournament, which could very well end next week for them. But their next game would be next week. Um, I'm not even sure what day U.S. time, but June 10th in Wellington at the, what do they call it, the tin can? Something like cake, uh, the, the cake tin. The cake tin. In Wellington. Wellington's a very nice place, although I only stopped there quickly over on a layover. But uh, regardless... Our attention will now turn north of the border. We're much, much closer to home. Uh, this crazy, crazy, crazy summer of soccer continues with the Women's World Cup up in Canada. Obviously, the U.S. women's national team is uh, the you know world powerhouse despite recently losing their very, very serious FIFA number one uh, status. I believe Germany has it entering this tournament. I could be mistaken. Uh, will, what, you, what are your thoughts on... The U.S. chances and just this tournament overall, it's, it should be a partic- particularly fascinating one. They're moving the field from 16 to 24 teams. So like the, the Under-20 World Cup, you're going to have third-place player, uh, third place teams advancing uh, into the round of 16. Uh, just give me your overall thoughts on this. Yeah, I think this is one of the, the first tournaments. I mean, 2011 was really sort of the, the prelude to this, but this is one of the... the I think I think in the modern era, one of the first tournaments where it's really 
as open as it's ever been. I mean, you, you could you could still look at it and say there are really only maybe um, four to five legitimate contenders, but that's you know that's even debatable. I mean, you could say maybe six, seven, eight um, if you're being optimistic, and that's you know that's up from previous years, I think, and just in terms of um, you know you you could handicap. I mean, you go back ten years ago. Uh, and handicap a World Cup or eight years ago, and you know, I think you could probably say, yeah, there's maybe two or three teams that could win it. Um, and I, I feel like just sort of the the increased parity has, has made has squeezed the U.S. probably more than anybody because um, you know the U.S. has kind of been content to rest on on its laurels um, lately, and I, I think that's really sort of uh, damaged just sort of the the progress. I think the way the ECNL is sort of like a direct um, result of that where they're saying, you know, we need, you know, we, we've sort of been so good for so long and haven't really had to examine how we develop players and we need something different. And um, so, I, yeah, I, I think the U.S. has as good of a chance as ever. I, I don't think they're going to win, though. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the style that they've played is sort of erratic, um, a lot of a lot of boot and chase, um, you know, they, and which is not necessary. I mean, they have some solid players in the midfield. I mean, you look at, um, you know, Christian Press and um, Carly Lloyd and some of these players that, you know, they play some pretty one-twos. But, you know, if you play Abby Wambach up top, you're sort of um, sort of resigning yourself to this, you know, lump it up to the forwards and, um, and hope they make, make something happen, if you will. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, obviously, the hosts, Canada, were bronze medalists in the Olympics. So, you know, they're obviously contenders, but also will be facing the high stakes pressure. You know, you look at some of the bigger countries. Sweden is led by, uh, who's in Group D with the United States, is led by Pia Sundhaga, uh, who coached the U.S. Brazil has Marta, so they're good, of course. Uh, obviously, they almost they took the U.S. to the brink at the 2011 World Cup. Uh, France has invested, you know, heavily kind of via PSG and Lyon leading the way um, on the women's side. There, Those Division One feminine, we've looked at some of those stats are insane. And they just, you know, I think most of the French national team comes from them. Those two clubs, you know, they kind of could see through. Obviously, Germany uh, didn't have the greatest World Cup at home, but, you know, they're always a threat. You know, you look at the United States as the oldest team, and you almost feel like it's a missed opportunity. It's a, I almost think if they continue this way and sort of foster the women's national team as a little bit more of a closed model, and I understand the difficulty of it because of the contracts of the players. You know, they they're directly playing for a USSF contract, but you know who administers those contracts? Because Tom Sermani was obviously trying to get other players in, and that didn't go so well for players on the team supposedly supposedly so, so we hear yeah. and then there's the whole turf you know the turf gate issue that dominated headlines over the past year so that all these games are going to be played on turf um you know then you have your newcomers there's a long list of pretty fascinating uh, obviously fox is coming in we'll, we'll be telecasting a number of these different game i think every single game is on some kind of tv whether it's fox sports one or two and then you know Big Fox, Main Fox will have a U.S. Women's National Teams game. Well, well and there's and there's some some consternation over the fact that the opener is in Edmonton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
I, I recently read a Cathal Kelly piece, and he's he likes to stir the pot anyway. Um, he's a Canadian curmudgeon. Yeah, yeah. From what I understand, I don't really know per- firsthand, but yeah, I couldn't I couldn't vouch, but he did. You know, he kind of poked Edmonton in a recent column where he was like, "Why are we doing this? You know, we are we are Toronto, we are Canada. You know, why are we having it here?" And you know, you understand with I think the Pan American Games are there, and so that they kind of didn't want it to overlap because Toronto traffic's already a nightmare, but, um, you know, there's still Vancouver, there's still Montreal, you know, so it's just, it's interesting that the opener will be played on a, a, a turf field with the track around it. And there's still something like 5,000 tickets available for the game. And it's what tomorrow. Yeah. The, the game, the first game kicks off Saturday uh, Canada against China, I believe. Uh, Group A is Canada, China, New Zealand, and Netherlands. And I think the that's the one one World Cup debutant because of this expanded field is the Netherlands. And um, you know they're a team that might not be able to get its way out of that group, but you know they're a very interesting team because you know obviously they have a lot of storied history on the men's side, despite. You know, only one major trophy, but you know, play a certain style. One of the exciting young talents of the tournament, a lot of people are picking, is Vivia Medima, who is a forward from Bayern Munich, off to a pretty good start of an international career with 19 goals in 23 games. Uh, you know, that's a pretty fascinating story to watch throughout the tournament. I think the turf thing is something that will probably affect the games a little bit more. Do you think that's unfair to say? You know. Whether it's going to be a, a misjudged bounce or a, a ball spinning and a goalkeeper misplaying it or something, do you think that's something we're going to happen and we're going to see more turf gate stuff? I mean, I watch a lot of Sounders games, just being that I'm here, um, and you know, they, you you hear a lot. I mean, I've actually heard a counter argument made that you know it's it's easier to play along the ground on turf, which I find asinine. Um, if you actually watch, you know, I mean. Watch this, and I know the Sounders turf is a little—it's crappier even than most. But I mean, if you watch games played on turf, you know even possession-style teams have to try that much harder to keep it on the ground. Um, it just requires a little bit of—I mean, it's not like you're playing on the moon, but it, you know it just requires a little bit of extra attention. Um, and you know the the women's game might suffer for it. I mean some of these teams do like to play along the ground and it's just going to be that much harder um, to do it. And I think some teams might just say, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we may not try as hard um, to sort of string together one twos when, um, you know, we're going to have to kind of fight the playing surface a little bit. So I, I would definitely prefer to see it on grass. Um, I don't know how Herculean of a task that would have been. I feel like it, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. Um, but you know, stuck to their guns and, and we, and we've got turf and, um, and here for we better are or for, worse. for better or worse. Here we go. Till the end of the tournament do us part. It's certainly, I mean, I, I think all of us who saw, I mean, we remember Sydney LaRue's tweet a, a year or two ago where the uh, pictures you know, of her legs. Yeah. And she's playing a, a league game, I think for the breakers and, um, or at the breakers or whoever it was. And yeah, her, her legs were just. Uh, were all chewed up and you could see some of the rubber pellets were like in the wound um and you know she was kind of like this is what you know this is what artificial surface is this is what it looks like um and obviously that's not every game every player but 
um, you also acknowledge that it's it's requires an adjustment. I mean, there's a reason why um, you know older world class players, uh, cough cough Thierry Henry, uh, didn't want to play on it. It's because it's you know it it hurts your joints at a certain point, and it's just a different feel. Um, again, not the moon, but you know it's something that you have to adjust to, and in a game of such small margins, something like that can can decide. Yeah, and hopefully it's not in a semifinal game where you know where it's a great game to you know the U.S. and France or Germany or whatever, and it's kind of marred by a bad bounce here or there. Let's take a look at the U.S. a little bit before we wrap up here. They're in a Group D, which people are calling the Group of Death. I indicated on Twitter Friday morning that I would like that moniker to just go away. It's just annoying. Um, they're going to go up against Australia on June 8th. June 12th, they'll take on Sweden and their, it's old, their old coach. And they'll wrap up the tournament against a young but dangerous Nigeria squad, uh, who, which is comprised of a lot of players from its under-20 World Cup team that made the final against Germany last summer, also in Canada, at the under-20 World Cup. You know, you're looking at this group. Um, let's First off, we, we did our picks on topdoorsoccer.com. Check that out over the 91st minute. None of us picked the United States. Why did we not pick the United States? Uh, well, I think, or do we just do that in spite? I feel like I'm, part of me is vindictive because of the way they play. Yeah, I just don't want them to succeed. It's, it's like a protest against uh, their style of play, I guess. I mean, well, I mean, think it's not a very replicable style of play if you think about it. In a tournament, you need to be as consistent as humanly possible, and there's nothing consistent about the way this team plays. The only consistency is the fact that in most positions they can out athlete people and you know that that is absolutely um repeatable in the sense that you know Carly Lloyd isn't just going to forget how to sort of blow by somebody um Abby Wambach isn't just going to forget you know how to beat somebody on a header uh but that said if you're relying on a strategy that that forces you to cut out the midfield with such regularity it's it's not that repeatable and it's it's not that fun to watch and you know you you play a team like France which is actively trying to sort of lace together some passes in the midfield and pass through you and you know that that style is not only more fun to watch but on in a tournament stage where you need to repeat what you do over and over and over again over the course of a couple of weeks that's the kind of style that usually wins i mean look at the teams that win these tournaments they're the teams that can do basically the same thing every time out and the U.S., for as much talent as it has, it can't – I mean, you can't tell me that you can repeat sort of that, like, desperation winner against, you know, against Brazil, like, in 2011. That Yeah, I guess that gives them the hope, though. Yeah, and it does, know? and it does, you know, and they can absolutely beat anybody in this field with that, with that style. But it also lends itself to, the, you know, this, this idea that the U.S. could lose a shocking, you know, 1-0 result where they have, you know – 85% of possession and outshoot a team, you know, 10 to 1, but the style that they play, it it could very well be that they, you know, they they can't cash in because it's just sort of to the whims of the day. Right. Yeah, and I think you look you can look at last weekend's uh, final warm-up friendly against South Korea, another World Cup team, uh that they were unable to break the deadlock. Obviously, they missed a couple of chances, but at the same time, that's kind of the blueprint to, you know, you defend deep. You kind of know what the U.S. is going to throw at you. And if you 
don't you don't have to necessarily play flawlessly, but you can kind of look at that game as a way to beat the United States. Now, there are a couple of factors to consider. Obviously, you know, the U.S. is probably not playing 100% full speed because everyone's like, I don't want to get hurt. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get hurt. And, uh, I, you know, Ellis is probably doing, a, hopefully, doing a little bit of lineup adjust tweaking still, uh, you know, playing Morgan Bryant out on the wing, which apparently might happen anyway. Christian Press is playing out wide despite being uh, a little bit better closer to goal. I think, obviously, the reason you'd expect... Um, even though I picked the U.S. to lose in the round of 16, of course, because I'm a hater, <laughs> you would kind of expect to see them in the at least the final four is just how good the offense can be. Now, Alex Morgan's been battling her injury, though she's been on the comeback road, so um, that's kind of a factor there. You know, you can just try out Sydney LaRue, you know, throw press up front. Wambach, you know, as much as I decry and detract from her style of play, it's it's effective and it works because you know she's the leading scorer in international history. So I think that this team is going to be capable, and you know we'll probably listen and read our website, listen to this podcast, and read our website for inspiration, no doubt, right? Of course. Where else would they go? Anyway, uh, we'll be keeping an eye out on uh, things up in Canada as the United States kick off. Keeping track of the under twenties men's national team, we've been watching the under twenty women's national team. Basically, every national team. Heck, thirty minutes from now, as we wrap up this, the men's national team is playing Netherlands. Uh, we'll dig into that a little bit on next week's show. Um, Will, thank you for joining me today. Obviously, check us out at all out our content on uh, development, club soccer, youth national team stuff. Topdoorsoccer.com, the ever excellent ninety first minute. Uh, Will can tell you about his depressing ride through FIFA on what is it, legendary mode? Mm, it's yes, all manual. Leicester City on yeah, the bad. hardest level possible. Um, follow us on Twitter at Top Door Soccer. I'm Travis M. Clark. Will is at Will Parchman. That's his genuine name, not a fake one. Uh, thanks for listening today and enjoy your soccer.